Good morning. Good morning. You know, I was reading today's passage today, and I was already saying, but uh, I thought, well, it sounds like something maybe out of Game of Thrones or something. <laughs> Lord, of the, Lord of the Rings because of the dragons and women, and so I was like, well, that's different, all right. Um, today's passage does come from the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 17, of the New Revised Standard Version. A great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of seven stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs, in the agony of giving birth. Then another portent appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God so that there she can be nourished for 1,260 days. And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. But they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not cling to life even in the face of death. Rejoice then, you heavens, and those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. So when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. And then from his mouth the serpent poured like water a river after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help To the help of the woman, it opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her children, those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. I think we've solved this passage. We need somebody with a great accent to read it. That made it so much better. I love it. I I love it. Fascinating passage, isn't it? Love it. So good. Nobody? Nobody? All right, all right. So have people heard this passage before? Okay, we got a couple of yeses, some noes. Has anybody heard anybody preach on this passage before? Yeah, that's about right. Okay, so... uh, that, that's the one thing about this. So it comes from Revelation. So this is the last book in the Bible, right? And so Revelation has um, a 
bit of a reputation, let's say, uh, and, and a deserved reputation, because uh, this is the book that we're talking about that's behind, like, the late great planet Earth and the Left Behind series, and, you know, people who are saying that Obama or USSR or Hitler or the Antichrist so we're living in the end of times, right? I mean, this is all from this book, and it's got a bit of a legacy, and so, um, as it turns out, preachers who let's say, do not find themselves in the fanatic conservative camp, tend to not uh, like a lot of the stuff in here, let's say. And so, just give it a wide berth, because, you know, it's just way too much baggage, and so, you know, just, it's better just to leave it be, right? And been used so poorly, it'd be better to ignore it altogether. So, that's why we're going to dive into it. Doesn't it sound fun? Doesn't it sound fun? Y'all, we we have to work on this. It's been a month and a half and you got, all right. Anyway, so let's get everybody on the same page here. So, Revelation, this book of Revelation narrates this bizarre otherworldly vision of this guy named John uh, who experiences this ecstatic trance. And so uh, in this vision, he sees these fantastical beasts in this otherworldly, uh, these larger-than-life characters in this cosmic-scale drama and playing out where God is taking on Satan. And in our passage today, we are dead center in the middle of the book. All right, And so we start with meeting this figure, this celestial being, a woman, and, and she's majestic, adorned with the sun and the moon and the stars, and she's also in labor, crying out from the pain of childbirth. Now, back up a second. Within the Hebrew Bible, back up another second. Okay, the Hebrew Bible is another name for the Old Testament. So, within the Hebrew Bible... This image of childbirth is repeatedly used as this metaphor for the coming of God, be it God's judgment or be it God coming into the world to set things right. But John's drawing on this rich tradition here, this rich metaphor that's been used over and over for God, God's reign being birthed into the world. And so we see this celestial woman in labor getting ready to birth a child and rather than a midwife waiting there to catch the baby. Who do we have but a uh, fiery red dragon who wants to eat the baby? Lovely. Uh, So is it clear by this point who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? Y'all. Come on, come on. All right. Is it clear by this point who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? Thank you. All right. So the woman gives birth, and does the dragon succeed in snatching up the baby and eating it? Of course not, because that would make for a boring story. And so the baby gets snatched up and taken into heaven where it's safe, and the woman flees for her life and runs away to the desert and gets to safety. All right. Cut scene. So we're still with the evil dragon, but this time we are now seeing the evil dragon with his evil angel armies, and he's taking on the archangel Michael and his angel armies, and they're fighting. And who's going to win? Of course, Michael, because of course the good guy wins. And so get the, they get the dragons and his troops. 
they get thrashed and then they get kicked out of heaven back onto the earth. Cut scene again. And we're back to the woman, our favorite woman, who the dragon is now kicked out of heaven, so he's like, oh, I'm going to go torture her more. And so she's like, I don't like this. I'm going to leave. And so sprouts these eagle's wings and flies off to safety. But the dragon doesn't give up that easily. And so the dragon rears back his head and lets out this torrent of water that's going to sweep her away. And she, it's, it's dangerous, and she's in peril. And then all of a sudden, who comes in to save the day? But the earth who cracks open and swallows up the river and is the hero of the story and the woman gets away safely and the dragon no longer can do this big fighting against God thing so the dragon is okay with just slinking away and torturing all the human beings in the world. The end. What do you think about the story? Good stuff, right? Pretty, pretty clear. So, right, so we don't need to dive into it at all. Is that correct? Good. Okay. We're good. Um, yeah, pretty self-explanatory. Yeah? Um, so look, here's the thing. This story doesn't make a lot of sense. It's an insane story. And you have no clue what to make of it because basically nobody has no clue what to make of it. And... Actually, if somebody does claim to know how to make sense of it, you should probably be a little bit wary. I'm just saying. So anyway, moral of the story. Uh, Let me make sense of it for you. Come on, guys. That was a good one. Come on. Okay. So in the New Testament, who was lording over the Jews at this time? Rome, thank you, the Roman Empire. So, you know, Caesar and the Colosseum and trying to take over the whole known world, all that stuff that you have to remember from history class way back when, right? The New Testament was written while the Jews were occupied by Rome. And so I'm just going to throw out a blanket statement, just an overall thing. If you have a foreign empire occupying your land and subjugating your people, in general, you're probably not going to like it. Is that a fair blanket statement, I'd say? So, so you're discontent, right? You're oppressed. You want to resist this thing, right? But you don't want to actually physically fight back against you know, the most powerful army in the world and because you're going to get slaughtered, right? That would be stupid. And so there's no way in heck you're going to win. So what do you do to resist? There's, uh, what kind of options are there? So there's one option that's by this fascinating author called Ngugi Wa Tiongo that calls it decolonizing your mind. And so getting all that junk, right, that the empire gets weighed down deep into you, getting all that out of there. And so instead of fighting to be free physically, you're getting all that stuff out so that you can actually be free inside of you and your spirit and your soul and your mind, right? Decolonizing your mind. And so one of the ways that our author tries, our particular author here, tries to do this is through writing resistance literature, what we today call the book of Revelation. So remember our situation. So Rome is occupying Judea. If 
could take a random guess as to which character in our story Rome is, what would you guess? Oh, yeah, the dragon that's a giant, powerful, murderous, evil, and violent. Seems fair. Seems fair. Uh, So you've got this fantastical narrative, right, where you have the forces of God taking on the forces of the dragon of Rome, of evil itself, right? And this causes for us a whole lot of problems, because it is so stinking foreign to our experiences nowadays, right? It is 2,000 years ago. It is literally halfway across the world. And it was completely foreign to the culture at the time it was written. So there's no way that it's going to make sense to us now. It's hard to get our mind around. But here, how, uh, this question might, might be able to help us a little bit. What do you think... If you're an ancient Jew listening to this, what what do you think you would get from the story? What what would be the lesson you take from it? Perhaps this. No matter what the appearance is, no matter what it looks like right now, no matter if the dragon is stooped down ready to eat the baby... That's not the end of the story. That is not the design that God has in mind for the world. And even though it looks hopeless now in the face of this monster, this monstrosity, this evil, no, that is not the end of the story. That is not what God's going to let happen. Despite this being foreign, and despite there being imagery that's thoroughly unhelpful to us moderns, Can this story not still speak to our existential situation? Can it not have resonance for us today? Because what is its fundamental claim? What is the fundamental thing it's trying to get across to its readers? At its root, this story is saying, evil will not win. There is evil in the world, and God works to oppose it and works to set the world right. Through the lens of this story, both the original author and ourselves take a look at this empire in which we live and try and figure out how to live as a Christian in the midst of it. And not only that, but notice, middle of the passage, we have a hymn, a poem, and there's this really fascinating line just slipped in there. It says, They gained the victory over the dragon on account of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their witness. Victory by Jesus and their witness. It suggests that even though the story is focused on this, you know, this bright, shiny object over here of the big galactic, you know, dragon fighting the archangels and stuff, we humans are still part of this story. We're part of the way that evil is defeated. Fascinating, is it not? I mean, we have this whole story about God's power coming into the world, coming to crush the forces of evil, and at the end we learn that we humans are really a key piece in the whole drama. It's in this fight in conquering evil, it's not just sit back and watch God go to town. Right? 
It's not just assume God's working on it. In this quest to make the world right, there is a place for us to participate in helping to bring about the world in which evil no longer triumphs. And is this not a message that we need to hear in our time? Is this not, perhaps in our specific cultural moment, is it not becoming increasingly clear that evil is still a major force in the world? That evil is nowhere near gone, right? White supremacy, Nazism, the global rise of fascism, heteropatriarchy, tragic rates of murder of trans folks, police abuse, gang-related murders, uh, homelessness, poverty, sexual assault, exploitation of labor, war, terrorism, xenophobia, uh, ableism, ageism too, ravaging the environment. Is it not clear that evil is alive and well in our world and in our particular moment? And it is all too easy to finally get our heads around the scope of the evil that's in our world and then feel hopeless to do anything about it. The scale of what we're facing is immense. Yet we cannot give in to the temptation to see the enormity of the dragon right in front of us, towering above us and assume that all is lost and that it's just the way it has to be that there's no way to be able to resist that because just that the Jews had to decolonize their minds, we too must resist the traps of fatalism and apathy because the giant bloodthirsty dragon is not the end of the story, right? There is the woman in travail who sprouts these eagle wings to take her to safety away from evil. There is the earth heroically winning the day by swallowing up evil. There is, of course, Michael and his angels fighting directly to make sure evil does not prevail. And how does the book of Revelation end? Not with obliterating the planet, because it's overrun by evil. It's all ruined. No. Revelation ends, it paints this picture of a restored earth where things are finally as God made them to be, where things are finally as they should be. And because God is not in the business of just waiting around for the sweet by and by to get things fixed. God's in the business of working in the world to set things right, to set right that which we have screwed up. And through the Holy Spirit, God is powerfully at work in the world, including through us. So, may your eyes become sensitive to seeing the evil that is in the world. And may you not give up.
may you, through the sustenance and in tandem with the Holy Spirit, may you persist in striving to restore the world to that which it is called to be. May it be so.